So, welcome to True House Stories. Of course I am, Lenny Fontana, coming out of Nueva York City, New York. Cold as brick cold. Possible winter storm on its way. May go out to Europe, we shall soon see. Or you may see with pictures of me shoveling and making snowmen and snow angels. And remember, children, don't eat the yellow snow. But <laughs> I finally got this man to agree. His management I sent the message on his manager. His manager came back to me a few weeks back and said, yes, we would do the show. I played with him in the 90s. He's been around since the 80s. He is an acid jazz icon as well. Chicago house, lived on the West Coast, hung out and played with Derek Carter and all the greats from Chicago. All right. He is a force to be reckoned with. I know how he plays his sets. They talk to you. They're romantic. They're everything that a DJ needs to say when he does what he does. So no longer am I going to hold back. I want to welcome to True House Stories, DJ Mark Farina. <laughs> that was a wonderful introduction. Yes, Mark. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for uh, doing here on um, Tuesday. I didn't know the Tuesday thing was breaking the protocol. So thank you for fitting me in then. Oh, you broke it. I don't do Tuesdays. We only do Wednesdays. But I said, we're going to make this exception for you. Definitely. So tomorrow I got, you know, I mean, like I mentioned, I got, you know, I'm in here in Dallas. My son is at school right now. So the house is quiet. But tomorrow I'm playing a gig in Dallas, but I got to bring all the DJ gear, which I haven't done. I, I haven't had to do that. Like they, they're like, they didn't want to rent. I don't know. I decided to be nice. They're like, can you bring your stuff? And I'm like, okay. I mean, so I got to go bring that and set that up tomorrow day, which I'm like, eh, I got to tear everything down. I mean, you know how that is. kind of. Man. I don't know. I haven't done it. So oh, and a bunch of stuff that, the last time, oh, I did a stream on New Year's and I brought everything to the record store here in Dallas. But yeah, it's a pain to get, like, it's so much easier just to show up with your headphones and your backpack and stroll in. So thank you for switching to Tuesday. Oh, no, brother. We love you, man. As you can see, we have that ultimate love for you. And of course, when I made the announcement that you were coming on, people were like, holy smoke, you you got Mark Farina? I'm like, of course we got Mark Farina. He's the man. You don't come better than that. But it's funny to hear you say, you're actually bringing all your gear as a like a mobile DJ, where most of the time you're jumping on a plane, maybe with a box of records or your, your USB sticks. This is a, I'm like, wow, I mean, it's super cool. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's benefits. You know, I know the style, like I'll set it up myself and I know it's my stuff. But yeah, then it always really kicks in. I find the last time I did, like, you know, at the end of your set, when you're done at the end of the night, I'm like, I got to tear all this stuff down. So, but oh well, at least I know it'll work. And it's your stuff. Yeah. How big is this gig that you're doing? How? how first of all, explain to everyone. You're in the red state of Texas. Yeah. What I mean, red is it's it's politically speaking, it's it's a Republican state. They're gun toting. It's a different type of state than New York. It's a southern yeah. state. So you you're gonna go do a gig. What's this like? You know, give people overseas an idea of what we're talking about gig-wise. Um, I mean, well, similar to Florida here in Texas, Texas has been pretty much wide open the whole time. There's no tiers. There's no tier one, tier two. It's just, it's been open. Like, I want to say, you know, there was that 
when things kicked off when March 2020, when things kind of shut down that first big time, clubs here, I want to say reopened like August of 2020, you know, something like that in some sort of limited capacity at first, but things weren't closed that long. And then, you know, like I said, it was pretty much, I think, Florida and Texas were the first two states that were just like, open it up. Like, yeah, like, you know, you can wear a mask, like, you know, obviously people were more into masks early on. Now it's like, eh, like at first though, you can only take your mask off to drink, but things have been open here in Texas. So there wasn't like many closings. I think the club, like clubs to open the earliest, they had to add some sort of food element. Like that was the stipulation. Like, so the main club here in Dallas, it'll do that has guests, you know, every week they put like a hot dog stand outside. So that allowed them to be open. That was like the, <laughs> the hurdle, you know, during the pandemic, the early pandemic that you needed to be allowed to open. So it wasn't like things shut down. There wasn't the no dancing rule like you had just experienced in Spain. Like that didn't happen in Texas. Yeah. We had to be careful. I mean, the people were dancing because they, people who saw video, but you know, when you do a tier four, it's you're down to 25% of your clientele from what they explain. It's, and it's tough. As a, and you know this, brother. As a DJ, it's tough to play to people standing around, right? Come on, Mark. No, it is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, when I did start off, though, we, we like used to do like the rooms that had multiple clubs, like or multiple rooms in the club. Like there was like a chill out, like a lounge room that the sound system wasn't like the full club system, like in maybe in the main room of a club. So it's just sofas and. Like we call it, you know, I used to call it head nod music. So I've been doing that though for a while though, where it's just like, that's the movement. Like somebody's bobbing their head at the bar. Yeah. No dancing, but yeah, the no dancing, like as a rule is, it, I mean, that's kind of hard. Like, why do you have, um, you know, it's just hard to do a club music, house music night, not have dancing. Like you just got to like sit on your hands and, and no dancing rule. Do not dance Mark Farina. Watch him. Only look at him. Only watch him. <laughs> But we want to welcome you too, and I'm glad you're okay. And congratulations, of course, of being a father and all that wonderful stuff. Because that's no matter how much work you do for what in our music thing, our music industry, mo- there's no better job than being a parent. You know that. You know, true. It's a very important yeah. job, right? A yeah. very important job. So, no more. We're going to get right to business because people want to hear your story, my brother. So, as I ask everyone, when you were a young kid, and now we're going to talk about your son's age and maybe a little bit older, how does music find the young Mark? You know, Mark Farina, the kid, was it a musical? Were you musically trained? You know, can you take us into your world? Yeah, let's see. I mean, I'll go back to, I mean, starting high school. I started high school in 84. And by that time, I had already been playing trumpet in like the high school, you know, I started in the high school band, but I was in like seventh, eighth grade concert band playing trumpet. I want to say I started fifth grade, like is how we had it. So, you know, I had that going on. So I was in a couple marching band things and concert band and just playing trumpet. You know, but my parents weren't musical. Like we just listen, you just listen to the radio all the time back then. So it was mainly you know, rock music and that kind of thing on the radio. And, of course, I was buying records like any kid back then, but I'd say, you know, in high school, things accelerated a bit more quickly. 
I forget. I mean, what year is a freshman? 15? I can't even remember now. Well, normally for some 14, 15, is your, and by 18, 19, you're graduating. So I want to say it was starting like freshman year. We learned about nightclubs and like teen clubs. They were called back then. They were just teen clubs. Like it was like 17 and under little clubs that we would start to go to in around 84, 85. But yeah, I had the trumpet thing going on and we were just buying records, but we didn't. That was just how you had music back then. Like you would buy records and mean you were a DJ, you know, it's at that point still like, but we started to go to clubs and then we saw like, a DJ playing like the first couple of times, like the first, I mean, you might remember like the first time you see 1200s, like at a club in action, like really, you know, like we used to, there'd be mixes on the radio and things or tapes. But when you went to a club the first time and we're like, that's what the DJs do. Like, Oh, wait, what's, what's that thing? Oh, it's the pitch. Oh, Oh, that's how he does it. And, like just watching. And like, you know, we didn't have DJ mixers yet. Like none of us, that came a little later. We learned like a friend of mine, his dad had like a DJ mixer for toga parties. He threw like, you know, like he would play a rock and roll and throw these toga parties. And after we learned at a club, like, Oh, a mixer. And we're like, Joe, doesn't your dad have a mixer? Oh, he does. Damn. That's that radio shack thing. So like, you know, I, I brought a turntable, you know, cause you had that little setup that was like the turntable cassette amp, you know, and speakers like that you know, I as a kid. So I like took my turntable out and brought it over there. And you know, this was after we saw, you know, what like a DJ did at the club, you know, it all kind of clicked, you know, like you didn't have YouTube and like, there wasn't a way to see that unless you what? went to the club and saw what? it. No YouTube, Google. Come on, man. We had that in the eighties. I mean, there wasn't really a news. There wasn't even like, like a, that early. There wasn't like news stories, like where they would even show a DJ on TV. Like you just never saw them. There was like, you could hear him, but so yeah, we saw the DJ. We're like, oh, he's got a mixer. He's got two turntables. He's got this. So we started to assemble this little makeshift setup of his turntable, you know, because my friend had a stereo, his dad had a stereo too. But so we brought the other turntable over and none of them had pitch. You're just using your finger. You're like speeding it up, like slowing it down. Like, we're like, we're doing it. You know, it's like, so it was like the, the light bulb clicked when we you know saw all that happen and this is that you know 85ish range and you know we were like whoa and then chicago at that time had a lot of djs like i'm sure similar to new york the east coast like that 80s thing there was we were fortunate to be around a lot of djs that were doing stuff so and once i learned where it was and like the industrial music at that time was beat matched a lot like they wouldn't just be playing like the cure and smiths it would be mixed beat matched industrial music so there's a lot of blending going on with that and then you know the whole chicago radio thing was going on at that time too that wgci wbmx the 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 big chicago house radios so it all kind of came at the same time coming at my friends and i in that you know 85 range like we were coming at it from an industrial side and then we learned about house music on the radio. We would be listening to it. And, you know, in Park Ridge, where I grew up, was uh, more of a whitish suburb, I'd have to say, the northwest side of Chicago uh, by O'Hare Airport. So, yeah, and just then we, you know, then we learned where record stores were. You know, where do you get this? Like, once you learn, you know, you kind of get an idea oh, this is that music. Like, and we'd been going to Wax Tracks, which was a record store in Chicago at the time, like a, you know, a good label, Wax Tracks. 
and that we discovered through that the club that was going on in Chicago, the downtown club, the big one was called Medusa's, which was like a juice bar in that mid eighties period. So like once we discovered that we were like, that was like the whole bridge that sort of turned my friends and I into little DJs. So you're telling us that was soft cell and those type of records being played all that. Yeah. Fish mode, like the, you know, like new order, like, but the, you know, so Nitzareb, Cabaret Voltaire, Severed Heads, all that kind of. New Wave, uh, D.O.R., as we call it, Dance Orientated Rock, back then, New Wave Music, all that, right? Like Ministry was the big Chicago band. This was before Ministry went sort of crazy after Twitch album. Like early, you know, Ministry was like industrial-ish New Wave stuff. Yeah, and it was all beat match, like 120 to 126, 130, like, stuff. But the DJs would mix, and that's it. Medusa's, it was all blended, like, layers together. But one thing I noticed about Chicago post to New York was that those guys playing at that time were speeding those records up. They were fast. They were playing. They pitched those things up, like, tough. Yeah. So everything was flying through, running to get through. Remember? It was like, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I even listened to my old tapes, you know, Chicago and Detroit. I mean, Chicago had that tempo relationship with Detroit. Unlike New York, things were a little slower always, but Chicago, Detroit, it would be, you know, 126 plus like 129. Like you'd be at a party, it'd be, you know, 129, 130, no problem. You know, and like all the house records, all the, you know, everything was played, pitched up. Like, yeah, it's like, really beat that box, beat <laughs> that box, bitch. You know, it's like, beat that box. It's like, wow, wow. Yeah, especially when the house phase kicks in in that period, like it was all you know 125 plus like you couldn't play 120 yeah it's too slow like 120 it's too slow no that's the warm-up that's the warm-up time <laughs> you had to jack it up definitely jacking right so all right so how does it begin for you now so and i can relate to this because a lot of us remember this when you said about such friend had one turntable such friend had the mixer and why is that because in those days these, these items were expensive and nobody really had major jobs yet to be able to afford all this equipment in one time. So, of course, all of you putting it together would make sense to make us something like like making a, a, what they would call a force, you know, where you're working all together. So where does it go from there? You guys are starting to learn to play and all that. Take us on that part. Yeah, you know, we're just starting to, like, well, and actually, and too, with some of those industrial clubs, like they would have like a house room too, alongside of it. So there'd be the industrial side, and then the house new wave like air, like room on you know, over there, and then the house room would be in the same club. But you know, so we'd go check it out, and you know, we were listening to house on the the radio a bit, but we were very picky with like all our selections. So yeah, like it was starting to learn like you know, by going in those house rooms like i pieced together what i was hearing on the radio like oh they're getting the records that i'm hearing these mixes because at first you hear all these mixes like in, in chicago at that area like there was mixes every day like there's like the lunch mix the mix at six you know and then friday and saturday night it was you know mixes all night on two stations so you could sit there on your radio which we used to do with our cassette deck and record things so that was just a era of putting together that this music exists and then actually finding it 
and you know like pre-spotify this was you know none of that like it took some time like some records you'd be searching for for you know a couple of years to figure out like i heard this one track and literally like you know yeah it would take you know it'd be like a, a year or two quest like i found this like that's that record so yeah we were just learning then then like i got a little mixer too somehow i'm trying to remember how so i took my tape deck and like i didn't have two turntables so i would record little breaks on cassette and then i would mix in the record that had no pitch over the cassette which had no pitch so you're just sort of blending and then the easy way to do it was obviously like you could mix the same record over the record you recorded because it's at the same tempo so you kind of get the little flange effect but you just practice trying to match like i'm matching the record to the song the same song i just recorded on cassette because we didn't have two turntables so yeah i think the first time like i'm trying to think of the first house like the first time i went to someone's house and they had techniques 1200s at home you know like my mind was like like he was one of the djs at medusa's a guy named terry martin and he lived down the street and it was like the first yeah, the first time I saw 1200s in a home, like, whoa, you, could, you know, he had like the mixer, you know, like an old. Like, Yo, he's rich. Yo, yeah. man, this guy's rich, man. He's got money. That's the first thing I said. He's got money. He's got turntables and thousand dollars each. What? Those are thousand dollars each, man. I mean, they were like techniques back then were like gold. Like, oh, you got like, you know, there was, there was like the beacon on the hill was the, you know, the 1200, especially when you didn't have one yet. You're like, I got to get the 1200. It's like, yeah, I eventually found like my first, like I found a mixer, which I can't remember what it was and two 1200s, but with no covers on them. And I like took the bus into downtown, like for 650 bucks. And this was in 1980, you know, seven ish. And you know, like, I'm carrying two turntables and a mixer. And it was one of those mixers, like a reggae mixer that had like guns and bombs on it like pew, 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 which was really annoying quick but i was like so excited to get this thing you know like i'm carrying these like you know, i had to take the bus and then the l train to get home like i didn't have a car i'm like and i'd saved you know all this i was like a i worked for my dad and i was a a, a, wait, a waiter at this little restaurant you know saved my money and saved my money and you know like i think my parents gave me a little balance like to get these used turntables but yeah, it was like a, you know, it was like a multi, like a, like five years, you know, I've been DJing a good five years and I didn't have, you know, not ser- not playing at clothes or anything, but playing at home. And it took, you know, five years to get 1200s. So you had like, would you have belt driven turntables first before the techniques? Yeah. Like eventually somehow I got one of those, they had those, a certain one that had like a little round pitch thing on it. That was like, it's like Let a little, me wheel, Let like me get. A little line on it, you know, like Technique. I eventually got one of those, like. So it's like one head pitch, but then the other, yeah, you just like, it was easier to slow it. Like speeding it up was a little bit harder than like, cause you had to like do this. Whereas like, if, if you just had to slow it down, you could put your finger on it. It was easier, but yeah. So eventually when you made the jump to having pitch, it was like, wow, then you can kind of, that's when you could really practice. So yeah, but we were just going out and getting records and, you know, we would just go out every weekend in high school to these different clubs like i'm sleeping over at joe's house and joe would say he's sleeping over at my house and then we'd sneak out and you know go to the nightclub be out all night you know because medusa's that place medusa's in chicago was open till like five in the morning it was it was like 18 and i mean it was a it was a juice bar thing but it was 
for its time that it was pretty. Do you remember? Do you remember who the DJ was that you were going to see at that time? Yeah, there the DJs at Medusa's were like I met the one guy Terry Martin. Another main guy was Mark Stevens, who was the other Medusa's main DJ, and he would do these like real to real edits that they would only have at Medusa's. Which luckily now, through knowing my friend, I have on cassette. But they like he would do like medleys of Yellow and ABC and you know different groups that were when you play them off real it was like like a what was that like a new order perfect kiss like 15 minute thing that he did you know on the reel to reel that was awesome so and then there was terry bristol who was a girl dj and another girl psycho bitch uh, val was her name valerie shine shine Flug. um psycho bitch was her dj name i'm trying to think who else um there was a jeff pazin um Mark Picciotti was another old Chicago DJ, but there was like, yeah, they they had good DJ like Medusa's. It was a pretty, you know, there was there was a pretty high caliber of DJs, and they had like this upstairs video room that was they would play videos, and then eventually Little Lewis did Sundays at Medusa's, which was a whole other thing. Like you know that like blew our minds going to hear Little Lewis, you know, because like, we had been going to the you know, the New Wave Club, and then they started doing a house thing on Sunday. So but yeah, so it was you know, all night venue where, you know, like the booth was up. It was kind of like an old theater. So the booth was kind of in where like um, the movie projectors would be like a little room on the, like it had like a small balcony and like a little projection room. But that, so yeah, that's where we, you know, learned what mixing was like in person, at least, you know, before we later, you know, in the later 80, like starting 87 after high school was when we started to get into doing house parties and, you know, that's when I met Derek in around the 88 range, 89. Well, so that's, 88. that's what I was going to ask you. So, of course, you're in the learning process and honing his skills and working a real job, real job. When does this first gig begin for you? What's the first break that happens to get you into um, the club world? Let's see. I graduated 87, and then I went to University of Arizona off to school in Tucson. And it was um, more of, I think it was just a rite of passage as kids, like to, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to be a student, but I want to go away to school and experience something different. Like I just want to, you know, everybody was going away to school. Like, you know, if you could get accepted and your parents could afford a college. So I chose Arizona for other reason that it was just far from Chicago and different. I hadn't really been many places, but I got a gig there at a club that um called the fine line in tucson and it was one of those i mean it was a thing back then you know where clubs had their own record collection i don't know if you remember that like certain clubs just had their own records in the club that the head dj would buy for the club and it had like the club name on all the records so that was so i was away at school but i didn't have to have records to play like i sort of bs my like yeah i dj in chicago you know like and even though I hadn't, like I'd played a party or two in, you know, 87, that nothing at all, but I persuaded my way in. I wasn't even 21 and somehow they let me work, work in this club in Arizona. So I would play, you know, Friday and Saturday and they had all the records there and it would be, you know, all night, like a, I don't know, like eight to two kind of a thing, you know, just playing all night. So I think that's where I first got to practice on 1200s that much. Cause that was still, I didn't have 1200s at that point when I went away to school. So I think that was like the first breakthrough where I got to DJ two nights a week for, you know, a couple months. 
at least, you know, playing every Friday, Saturday, nine to three in the morning, you know, on turntables. So I think that was a, you know, a good step to practice, you know, like when you have to play all night, you know, it's different these days with shorter sets and all that. Like back then it was, you know, you DJ all night. Imagine that. Imagine that. If you're telling someone you open and to close, it's not, have opener and then walk in for main slot and then go home. You had to open the club. Yeah, you're and, there with the bartenders, you know, like and bullshitting and talking and then you know and then putting slow records on, of yeah. course. Nobody's there, you know, for the but it was good practice because you know and then that so I think that was my first gig that you know I started to get a feel of turntables. Was, you know, you just got practice, of course. And then I moved back to Chicago in 88. Like, I didn't last that long in Arizona for whatever reason. Like, I just wasn't doing that great in school. I think the main reason, that, like, in retrospect, I wasn't going to go to school. I was just going to get a life experience. So I went back to Chicago, and this would have been, yeah, early 88. And that's when I started going to Columbia in Chicago. And then in that whole kind of from 86, 87 to 88, house just got bigger and bigger in Chicago. Like, it was just more and more. So, you know, when I came back in 88, you know, like, there was houses everywhere. Since you're a Chicago native, you have to explain to people that the music that you were hearing, nobody really knew it was called house yet. Correct? Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, I want to say, you know, in, in Chicago, though, we were calling it house, you know, in that 88 time, like, you know, like, I but I'm talking pre to 88. I'm talking 85, 86. Yeah, before that, no, we didn't really know what to like. No, I want to say. What you did know, you guys like, call it? What did you call this music? It was like just I mean, dance? Yeah, I want to say, I'm trying to think. I mean, obviously, it was Industrial New Wave was called something, but I'm trying to think if we called it house music just yet. I mean, I think we might, because I want to still say in my head, though, I was calling it the house room, even though we weren't going to the club for that house room at the time. We were going for the New Wave room. But we would say, you know, let's go check out the house room. So maybe, I mean, just because, you know, I think I realized too later, you know, like you assume everybody has house music, but, you know, if you're in Chicago, everybody has house music. But then I, you know, started going away and traveling a bit from Chicago. And I'm like, you didn't have, you know, house music in, you know, 87, 86, you know, on the radio. No, no. And so we were pretty lucky. And I think New York had that too. It just, and I mean, you guys had the hip hop thing going on, but Chicago didn't have Chicago, which I still think makes Chicago interesting because there was no hip hop. It was only house. Like that was the, you know, whatever African-American, Hispanic, white, contemporary dance music thing was just house. Like there was no hip hop going on on the side. It was all house. So, yeah, it was just a cool era where, like I said, you know, those mixes were on the radio all the time. Like you would drive when we'd go into the city and everybody's listening to the mix, like you'd pull up, I don't know, like a car behind you would be playing the same mix you're playing, you know, like on a better sound system in their car. You'd be like, oh, they're listening to the, you know, like, you know, it's in time, like the car behind you is like, pulls up and it's like, whoa, like, you know, like they're rocking the same, you know, the same mix. Or you drive down the street and you're playing out of the same mix, you know, playing out of little stores, out of, you know, people on radios. So like the mixes were just everywhere. And, you know, that was that, you know, how and that that is that plethora of sound is it, the excitement is it, it feels like you're part of something. It's growing. It was like when disco broke out in New York. It was crazy. That same feeling. You heard it everywhere, everywhere, every radio, every store, everywhere. 
I remember as a little kid hearing it the same way, but house music um, for me was like Garage, Paradise Garage, you know, David DiPino and Larry LeVan killing those records as they were being made, you know, and Bruce Forrest at Better Days. But I can, I can definitely understand in the radio, must have been crazy you're driving around and you hear it everywhere, you know? Yeah, and then, yeah, like it was, and then also at that same time, you know, learning where to get all those records, like once I came back to Chicago, there was, I was going to Columbia College in Chicago, and that's where I, you know, slowly started to, like there's a record store called Imports, et cetera, in Chicago that was like in between my L stop and Columbia. Like I just happened to walk by there one day because I would you know take the L stop and you just walk this I don't know four block thing. It's kind of in the loop of Chicago, and I found that record store, and I'm like, oh, a record store. So you know, and that's where I met Derek, and you know that was like around '88, and then from there, that's when like I started getting into all that Chicago, Detroit stuff. Like I was into a lot of the acid tracky. Like I like the more tracky stuff. Like I didn't. When I was younger, I don't think I didn't appreciate or I just didn't know much about disco coming from it in that 80s period, like coming from it from a new wave angle and then getting the house, like learning where to get the house records. So I would get the tracky stuff, all the early acid tracks, like all the Detroit stuff was the sound I like. And then getting, then learning, you know, about imports, like, oh, that's right when kind of the import, like, you know, learning what imports are and what music was coming from Europe in that, you know, like 88. And then as it, moved on from there, you know, more and more music started coming out of house music. And that's when we started to, you know, throw parties in that range. And that was with like Derek Carter and Spencer Kinsey was another old friend of mine, Gemini. And, you know, we kind of, you know, we're like, we'd go visit the labels like Derek and then eventually worked at casual records, DJ international records. You know, we'd stop by there, like after going to the record store, you learn where these little record labels were in the city. And, you know, as I started DJing in clubs, would like you know go around and meet all the different people doing the labels in Chicago, and Derek obviously knew all those before I did. He, like, he you know would introduce me to all these all these people, but everything was new. You know, like it was just a good time in Chicago, definitely in terms of all these. Oh old, yeah, it's fresh. Things. Hell yeah, it was like a it was a kinetic energy that was pounding with everybody. The the the, the sound of house music and the club scene and the support from the people and the camaraderie. 